the show you need to get what you desire by avoiding the mistakes made by others before you. Learn the stories and journeys of what success looks like to find the freedom you deserve while thriving with your best life. And now I present to you the one, the only Rapid Results with Andrew Wise. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to episode two of Rapid Results with Andrew Weiss. Today, we have a very special guest. I'm more than excited to be hosting the one and only Jeshurun. And to give you some background on Jeshurun, um, his freelancing career has been amazing. He has all the awards from Upwork. He's been expert vetted, which is only awarded to the top 1%, highest paid, 100% job success score. And he's most proud of the fact that he got there since even before started freelancing and he, he didn't think he'd get a single job and he didn't even try for six months. And on top of that, I want to pull up uh, another fact from Jester Run here, read a little bit more about his bio, is that he is currently a 23-year-old entrepreneur, freelance app development consultant and project manager. He went from a broke college dropout to one of the most successful freelancers on Upwork in only a few years. He's also a co-founder and CTO of a startup in the cannabis industry named WeedApp, providing high-quality mobile apps for dispensary shops around the country. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, Jeshurun. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for that wonderful introduction, Andrew. Oh, it's well-deserved, well-deserved. So one of the first things that uh, we want to know about is how you got to where you are today. Like, who, who is this Jeshurun? Where did he come from? So if you want to tell us, like, uh, yeah, a little bit <clears throat> of your backstory and uh, your upbringing, we'd love to hear about that. Yeah, man, not a problem. You know, I grew up on a small island named Orcas Island up in the San Juans. Growing up, you know, we had a lot. My dad was doing really well, very successful. He was a real estate agent. But as you all probably remember, the 08 crash, you know, we lost everything. It was really hard. I was in middle school around the time. And uh, when this happened, you know, it was completely, complete change of life. And we moved off the island. We moved in this tiny apartment that we weren't even really allowed to be in because there's too many of us. I'm the oldest of four uh, siblings. So we were there for a while. Uh, my dad started up another business in a restaurant industry and eventually that failed as well. And, you know, go, growing up, I feel like the entrepreneurial spirit was really shown to me by my father. But at this point now, you know, I've been so thankful to finally grow up and have the opportunity to pursue that myself. And he's been a huge role model for me. And and now he's my business partner in Weed Apps. And you know, over the last couple of years, I use my skill uh, developing, which I've been building apps since I was about 15. I was doing just for fun at first, but when I was about 21, I needed to start making money since I dropped out of college, like you said already. And it started off, it wasn't getting much traction. And then all of a sudden I got a job offer and it was unbelievable. And then I just kept raising my price after each job I got kept raising it, kept raising it. And, you know, at this point, I'm 10 times what I was charging from that first day. And so it's been an incredible experience going through that in such a short time. And, you know, looking back then, if you would have told me before I got that first job, that'd be where I am now, I wouldn't have believed it. So, you know, it's, it's a really incredible journey. And I'm really excited for the next chapters this year, starting my business with my father and one of my best friends. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's super exciting. I know, uh, like you said, like I wish, I mean, I know a lot of people out there are like thinking themselves, banging their head against the wall going, gosh, like how the heck can I 10x my price? How can I charge 10 times more? And, you know, with any storyline too, you know, 
we're at this hype up, like here's, here's Jesha run today and, and we don't know where he's going to go next. I do want to kind of go back in time a little bit. And I definitely believe that, yeah, your, your, your foundations and your upbringing is definitely shapes who you are a large amount. So you mentioned that your family was going through a tough time in 2008. I know my family suffered a lot too. And you mentioned that, you know, luckily for both our fathers are entrepreneurs that does help teach resilience and problem solving. And, you know, the analogy I heard one time is that some people are eggs and some people are, are bouncy balls. Like when they hit the concrete, some people are like, I can't do anything. And some people hit the concrete and like, okay, how, how high can I bounce? What is it that, that shaped you? And maybe it was only your father, but what is it about your father's qualities that made you go, you know what, like this sucks, but I do want to bounce back from this essentially. Yeah. I feel like when this was all happening, you know, it was, it was through my high school years and, you know, those are very pivotal years in, in your life as well. And I kind of came to the conclusion, like, you know, I want to make sure that when I grow up and have my own family, like my family never has to go through these kind of tough times. And I know my father, you know, was always working so hard to make sure that was the case. You know, he'd be up like working until midnight, trying to start his business. And he did several other businesses in the meantime, too, to make sure we had money to buy groceries and stuff. And so I think I'd, I really got the idea of what hard work is from watching him. And the idea of like, you know, you can go out and do it yourself. As far as bouncing back and coming back from that, I just from day one was inspired to go out and make my own money. I started programming when I was 15 because, you know, you can't get a job when you're 15. <laughs> you have yeah. to be seen in most places. So I was thinking like, what's the one thing I can do to make money now that's accessible to me? And, you know, behind a computer, no one knows who I am. I could be 15 writing code. No one cares. And at that time, I thought I was going to make some app that was going to go viral and I was going to make a bunch of money. So this is right in the age of Flappy Bird when that <laughs> had all the hype. And I was like, oh, I can make this. It was actually, I saw this one article that was like, the guy who made Flappy Bird was making 50K a day in ads. I was like, what the heck? And then the next thing I looked at was how to make Flappy Bird in two hours. Like it was a YouTube video on how to code it. I was like, what the heck? I can do this. <laughs> so yeah, that's really what got me into coding. And I've always kind of been interested in computers and stuff but that was really where it started so i love that and and so go, going back to you, you always wanted to make money when you're what do you think has been the trajectory of like what got you fired up every day at 15 years old versus what gets you up fired up every day at 23 like uh tell us about that that journey yeah i don't know when i was 15 it was just kind of like a hope but now it's like it's real. I got clients. I got people messaging me. I have real income coming from it. Whereas before it was just, you know, I hope maybe one day I can make a better future. So I think it, it being so real, it keeps me really focused on it because, you know, every single day I got to wake up, I got to get my tasks done for my clients. I got to get everything done for my business. I need done. Things are moving. You know, I can't just drop the ball. And so I think having so much responsibility on my plate is what gets me up and going every day nowadays. But in the past, it was more of just this desire and this hope for having a better life. Yeah, I like that. And I know uh, you started coding at 15 and then you went to college at uh, University of Washington, right? Yeah. So for people, so if there's any high schoolers listening in or college students listening in, what advice would you give to them about, about college in general, about should they go the four years? Should they go? Should they not go? Um, and obviously you have, you have your own unique experience, but yeah, if you if you're giving a talk to high schoolers and college students who are looking at college about going or not going and getting the most out of it, versus, um, yeah, what, what would you say to them about advice about college in general? Yeah, I mean, my situation was very unique. 
you know, I've always been an entrepreneurial spirit at heart. So it's like, for me, I, I never saw myself as the guy who's going to go get the nine to five job and go work in a company, climb the corporate ladder. Like I have a really hard time taking instructions from other people. So <laughs> it kind of has worked out for me. Like you know, that was my hard thing about college since I was doing computer science was uh, I'd been doing it since I was 15. But yeah, here I am in these classes. I've been, already had a bunch of experience yet. Yeah, they had a very specific way they wanted things done and all this other stuff. And I, I just personally had a really hard time with it. I just was like, why am I sitting here taking these classes, learning an old programming language I would never even use when I could build my own project, spend every single day trying to start a business, get real world experience. So that was, that was kind of the reason why I originally dropped out was because I saw that as a better opportunity for me. When did you uh, drop out? I was my junior year. Oh, so but, you had years into college. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I did running start. So it was technically a year and a half after I graduated high school. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So wouldn't that be like 20, 2018? Yeah. But with that, just in general, like for my experience, it, it made sense. And I'm not the kind of guy who's like, hey, college is stupid. Like, I think it, it has a place. Depends on what you're doing. I think the most important thing is to really evaluate like, all right, what do I want to do? What's my goal? Like for me, I want to be a programmer. I want to build my own business. Do I need a degree to do that? No, I don't. But if I was, if I want to be a doctor or a lawyer or something, like absolutely, gotta go to college, right? So it, it just really depends on your path. I think it's important. A lot of people I see go to college with no clear path and they go to there to figure it out. And I, I think that's a terrible idea because you're just wasting money. Like if you don't know what you want before you go there, then what's the point? But that would be my one piece of advice is just have a plan and then ask yourself, do you actually need the degree to achieve your plan? But that being said, you know, I'm, I'm even looking into going back to college eventually. Now, I would love to have that on my resume, especially as I grow and, you know, start this business and start my next one. Just having more credibility behind my name besides the experience. Interesting. What, what would you want to go back for? Honestly, probably it would be cybersecurity learning about cryptography and stuff because lately I've been taking a huge interest in cryptocurrencies and decentralized application development. So that's been kind of like my hobby projects on the side. My, my forte is mobile app development. I love that. All right. So you were out of high school, we're out of college and now bump, bump, bump. We're in the entrepreneurship journey. I definitely know. Yeah. From my own experience of being a full-time entrepreneur, like you definitely like you don't know what's going on. It's kind of like the, everything is so clouded. Like you get so many distracted, like, oh, I can make money this way. I can make money this way. Oh, like, how do I know what to charge? How to go about that? So tell us more about, uh, so you dropped out of college. Like, tell us about those beginning stages for you. Like, what, what was that like? Oh man, it was crazy. That's for sure. It was, it was a big decision to drop out, but I was also very, I was very opinionated. When I make up my mind about something, it's like the only option for me. And I was like, you know, burn the ship kind of mentality at the time. Like I just got to drop out. I just got to full send it and like start my business and blow it up. Like there, there was no like middle of the road approach for me. So but like once I was in it, it was very sobering to realize like how hard it is to be successful as an entrepreneur. In fact, you know, that first business I was starting on didn't succeed. And largely a part to, um, I learned a lot from my ability of uh, writing code and stuff as I'd only really worked on software as a personal projects for fun. And I didn't have a great concept time management with building projects. So I let my scope creep. So like everything, how big the project was kept growing. It kept making it more complex. So I should have been making it simpler. And all in all, I'd 
by the time a year and a half had passed, the app, nothing was ready for market. Uh, I didn't have any customers and I was facing the point where like, all right, I either need to go back to college or I need to get a job. And, you know, it was really hard for me because my motto at that point was, you know, I need to just pick one thing, stick with it and work at it until it succeeds. And mm. it felt like I was giving up on that when I went to freelancing because I felt like I was kind of folding in my cards for being an entrepreneur. But like, I really didn't have a huge choice because, you know, I'd over a year without having any income, racking up credit card debt, you know, I had nothing. My dad was helping me pay off my the debt interest that I had to pay, but like, it, it was rough. But yeah, once I started freelancing, you know, everything turned around. Uh, I got my first job and my first job was already making six figures from it. So it was a life-changing income. And like, from there, I was able to pay off all my debt and really like set the foundation and going from not having money for so long to having that much income and with like no expenses either was crazy for me and it was i went on a little spree of join having income <laughs> but say since then uh it's definitely turned around you know i realized I, I don't spend nearly as much money as i used to or i don't want to just go buy everything which is how it was when i first started making money interesting so it's interesting that like that focus method didn't work for you is that join freelancing. So tell us more about what, what freelancing means. Cause that, that just means like, Hey, I'll do any kind of code for you whatsoever versus you thought, Oh, I can only do code for mobile app development kind of thing. Yeah. So the difference was when I freelance, I'm writing code for other people's projects. So I'm helping other entrepreneurs build their dreams. I'm not building my, right. And so before I was writing, all the code I was writing was going into my product, the thing that I was going to sell and I was going to make money selling my product. But instead I went trading my time for money, working on other people's project. And you know that was great at first, but you know, after about a year of that, I really felt like I had given up on my entrepreneurial dream and I was not feeling fulfilled from my work. And I just felt like I was working on all these cool projects with all these different people, but they weren't my projects. And I really didn't feel any sort of ownership towards them. And I didn't really, even though I was making good money, I didn't feel like an entrepreneur. And I realized that my passion wasn't to make money. It was to build businesses and build my own things. And that's just because of like the kind of person I am. That's interesting. So you're, you're doing your own business, but it wasn't working. So then you started freelancing, getting hired by other people to work on their businesses, which is working very well. And then you got to the point where you are now where you're going, okay, now that I have the skills, I have the money that, to be paid by others, now I can learn how to be paid by myself, essentially? Yeah, absolutely. Because when I started freelancing, I became very aware of my time. And the problem I had with the business at first was I was not aware of like how much time I should be investing into development or like managing my time. But once someone's paying me for my time, completely changed my perspective because I'm looking at it like I need to do this quick. I need to get this done. I need to ship this this update and release these features because, you know, these people are paying me to get it done. And so that was a huge perspective shift for me for in my development. And I, I'd say that really made it possible for me to, you know, build the company I'm building now. The all the experience, you know, I'm getting the inside look of dozens of companies, understanding where did they go wrong, where did they go right, and really learning the difference. And that's been a huge benefit. One of the best things I've learned since then. Yeah. And so looking back on that, I mean, could you have done that differently? Like if you go back in time, knowing what you know now, would you take the same route of still starting your own business first 
and only doing your own business? Or would you say, actually, I should have gotten more experience getting paid by others first? Like, how, how would you adjust if you were to go back in time on when you were starting your entrepreneur journey? As I go back in time, I probably would have started freelancing earlier just because having the having to not worry about the financial stress behind it too makes it a lot easier. You know, like right now I, I do consulting mostly. So I work about 20 hours a week for my clients and then the rest of the time is my business. So it, it gives me a good position of balance um, where I can work on both and I'm financially stable because I'm able to continue making an income while I'm working on my business. Now, before it was really stressful when you have to rely on your business for income. But it's really nice now that like my business can make income and that all that income from the business can go right back to the business. I don't need to worry about it. I don't even have to look about it. So that's definitely a huge advantage now. And I think that was probably one of the critical issues with it before was I was kind of relying on that business to be successful for my own personal income. Yeah, it makes sense. And kind of piggybacking off of that. So with the consulting journey, you said you've 10x your consulting prices since only being in, well, so you've been in business now for four years officially? Uh, I started freelancing 2019, the summer of 2019, mm-hmm. right before I turned 21, I got my first job. And when I first started, I was just doing development. So like I just hired hand to like come and write code basically, you know, oh, you want a feature out of your app? I kind of specialize in the mobile app development specifically for iOS, but you know, I've, I've done a whole bunch of projects since then. I moved towards consulting this last year, partially make more money with less time. And the, one of my strategies towards uh, increasing my income has been when I negotiate on my contracts with my clients, I negotiate with my time, not my value. So at the end of the day, my client has, you know, let's say their budget's X amount of dollars per month that they can spend on development. Well, instead of saying, hey, I'm going to raise my price, you have to pay me more. I say, hey, my price is raising, I have to work less to still build the same budget. And then what always ended up happening is they would need me to still work full time and it would work out from there. And so I was able to continually raise my price over and over again. But, you know, it got to the point where I wasn't able to raise my price for just doing standard development work. But I needed to enable in order to get to the position where I am now to where I can work less hours and yet still make enough income to pay for everything and work on my business. So I made that decision to switch to consulting at that time because I realized that it's the only way I can raise my income even or my hourly even higher and get more time back. So instead of my clients needing me 40 hours a week, they only need me five or 10 hours a week. But I was able to raise my price on that. And so I get my time back and, you know, I am making less money than I would be working 40 hours a week, but, you know, I'm able to have that time to work on my business. And at the end of the day, I'm not so concerned about saving money into investments. I mean, I still do a lot of that with cryptos and stuff, but like I look at my investment as my time I put into the business. And so I'm okay with making less income, knowing that that is an exchange, more time I get to spend on my business. Interesting. So so breaking that down just for a hypothetical numbers. So if, if a client has a budget of, let's say $10,000 a month to, to make a new app, and you said, let's say hypothetically, you normally charge $100 an hour for consulting, and I, I take it you charge less for doing work, right? Like, is it $100? Hypothetically, it'd be $100 for consulting and like $75 an hour for like the coding itself kind of thing? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't even really do much coding at this point anymore. And if I do, I continue to charge my consulting rate because that's outside of the scope of work that I'm supposed to be doing. Gotcha. So yeah. client comes to you and say, hey, we need this app built. Our budget is $10,000 a month. 
and uh, oh, we see that you charge, let's say hypothetically, $50 an hour. Well, I guess coding is expensive. So let's say $100 an hour for coding, let's say $150 an hour for consulting. And you're like, okay, great. But the issue is I'm only doing consulting at this point. So here's my rates for consulting. But if you wanted to hire a coder, here's where you would go for that. Is, is that kind of how it's set up? So with one of the clients I'm working with right now, I tend to kind of like I'm doing project management and consulting for them. So hmm. basically I tell them like, all right, here's everything we need. We need an engineer that does this, we need an engineer that does that. I help them put out the job listings. I interviewed everyone. I hired the team and then I led the entire project with it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, staying busy. All right. <laughs> and, and tell us more about uh, one more time, how you went from charging X amount for consulting, I think you said you charge 10x more now that, uh, let's see, it'd be three years, or you said two years later since you started consulting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did I make that increase in my price? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. One job at a time. So like, you know, I'd get my first job. And my, my first job was for $65 an hour, which was life changing. And then once I got that job, uh, I just, I raised my price on my things. So I had work. So I just was like, I don't need another job. If I get another job at this price, then I'd accept it. And I set the price pretty high, like it unrealistically high. Like I didn't believe I'd get a job at that price. And every single time I didn't think I'd get a job at that price, but someone would send me an offer. <laughs> it, it literally, like it, it was mind blowing and just happened every single time. And then I, at, once I got a job at that price, I raised it again and I raised it again and I raised it again. And people continued coming to me. And, you know, eventually I've cornered the, the market demographic of the, the 1%. You know, there's, there's a lot of people out there who are price shoppers. When you think of price shopper, you think of someone who's looking for the lowest price and is going to buy the cheapest one, right? But I would say that's about like 95% of price shoppers, but the other 5%, they price shop the other way. They want the best. And so they look at the price tag and they look, if they see something more expensive, they assume that's better. And so what I've done is I've used that to my advantage to make more money and build my own resume basically off Right. So when people see my high price, they already have a foot in the door with them because they're assuming that I'm good. And then they reach out to me because they want the best. And then all I have to do is convince them that but they're already halfway convinced because of my price. So it makes it really easy to uh, justify those prices because they're already justifying it for me. Oh, that's, so, that's so well spoken. Thank you for, for sharing that insight and just talking about the importance of like, yeah, like what? starting somewhere and then increasing the increasing increasing and then like how much your own mind was blown when, when going whoa like i didn't know anyone would <laughs> say yes to being able to charge this much per hour that's so that's a good point that uh, there's still five percent of the world where they yeah they don't look at price well i guess they, they look at price as a sense of value versus looking at price for the price yeah um, and it's it's much better to be paid more for your services obviously than less quick story example I like is essentially there's a story of a kid and uh, this father says to go bring him a rock or to bring a rock to three different places. And the first place that the kid brings it to is like a local market. And they're like, okay, yeah, I'll give you uh, $5 for this rock. Next, the kid goes to like the local store, like chain store. And they're like, okay, we'll give you $20 for the rock. And then finally he takes the rock to like a fancy rock museum where they study rocks and there's like really high quality rocks. And they're like, oh my gosh, we'll give you like $200 for this little rock. And it's the same rock. It's just different audiences yeah, and yeah. recognizing the importance of that. Like why sell your rock for $5? We can sell your rock for $200 kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I remember when I was starting my first business, the one right after I dropped off or dropped out, I was asking for $1,000 a month 
for the, the service that our app was off. And that, that was to businesses. So it was a B2B business. And I couldn't even fathom $1,000 a month. There's just like such a mind-blowing number that like I didn't think anyone would even pay that. It's, 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 it was mind-blowing to me. And so when I was out there trying to get these companies to sign up with me, I wasn't even sold on it. And you know, I'm sure it showed right through, which is probably why no one signed up. But you know, now I'm realizing that there's so many people out there with so much more money and like $1,000 is nothing to them, right? And mm -hmm. so once you see that and then you realize, wait, that's just one tier. There's tiers above that too of people with income. And then you know, the, the goal is to have people like that that are paying you because then you know they don't care and, and they want the best of the best. And as long as you give them the best, they're happy. Yeah, you really got to find that demographic. And honestly, as, as a consultant and a freelancer, I try to avoid the cheaper clients because those are the people that are going to you know, nickel and dime you and they're going to be a lot of work and a pain in the butt. So it, it's nice to have people that want the best and are willing to pay. Yeah, there's a, uh, <laughs> there's, there's, a there's a viral trend. I'm on uh, money Twitter, right? I follow the threads of these people who are making thousands or thousands, hundreds of thousands of millions a month. And you know, the viral trend right now is that uh, when you work with like a client who's going to pay you $500, they like go into this, you know, speech about, you know, I don't know if I can really afford this. This is going to change my life. Like, I don't know if I can make this leap where if you work like with the $5,000 client, they'll say, okay, money sent. Thanks. We'll, we'll talk next week. <laughs> That's exactly what it's like. It's crazy. So it's, it's just about expanding as a freelancer, expanding your network of clients. And, you know, you want clients like that at the end of the day, because those are your clients are, are your income. You know, they're, they're your employer, basically, you know, you think about it that way, like those are the people that are writing your checks. So you want to make sure that the people writing your checks have the money to be able to pay you long term. And that gives you like uh, job security and financial security in the freelancing space. So I'm very blessed to have amazing clients that I've worked with. You know, they've been super great, you know, giving me great reviews and you know, I've been paying very well. So it's been great. Yeah, great to hear. And speaking of uh, working with great clients, what's super awesome as well is that for those who don't know, uh, you're able to work with your family and friends in the business and businesses plural that you run. So we'd love for you to talk about that, about what that's like of, you know, well, I guess overall, what's that like for you? Because some people say never go into business with your family or friends because it's too much of a conflict of interest. Some people say always bring in your family and friends into business because everyone wins. And so We'd love to hear your yeah. experience and how you go about that. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely been on both sides of that fence. My first business was actually with three other friends of mine that actually went upside down. And two of them I haven't spoken to since. So, yeah, it, it wasn't great. Wow. Um, you know, I learned a lot through that. That was an amazing experience for me. And I think it really prepared me for everything else I've done and, you know, starting this business. And then, Know, deciding to continue to go back into business with friends like I think what I really learned is to I really truly understand like where your friends stand with you are there because you know what you can offer or are they like truly there because they're your friend right and it, it takes some level of discernment to really understand where that's at you know but that will decide whether they're gonna turn on you over money or equity or something or if they're gonna stand with you through it and, you know, I have really, really good relationship with my family. And so I'm not worried at all about going into business with my family. But with this uh, newest business, co-founders is myself, my father, and one of my best friends, Grant Barden. And it's great because we all serve different roles very well. I'm the CTO, so I'm in charge of all the technical stuff. 
due to my background, it just makes sense. My dad's the CEO in charge of operations. You know, he's been running many businesses in the past. He knows the ins and outs and like all the legal and all that kind of stuff. Finances, couldn't even do any of that. And then Grant uh, is our uh, CSO, does all the sales and stuff. And it's it's a really great arrangement. And, you know, I love working with all of them. And for me, when when I started achieving success with my freelancing, it was tough for me to like, be sitting there finally kind of quote unquote made it like, you know, I, I don't feel like I've made it in any way, but like compared to, you know, where a lot of my friends and stuff were like, everyone was like, Oh man, like I wish I could do that. And it was hard for me. Cause like, I felt like everyone could do it because, you know, I felt like I was able to do it and it took me learning something, a skill that people wanted to pay me for and then not marketing it and doing it. Like, and it was pretty straightforward and I would try to help my friends with it, but like, you know, it, it just didn't really stick. And so, but I felt really called to like, try to provide this opportunity that I'd been so blessed with to my friends and family around me. And I came to the realization that I can't necessarily like show them how to recreate it. But what I can do is build enough success in my own path that they can be included in it. But the only way I could do that, like I can't do that just freelancing because that's, that's what it's, I needed to build something big enough where other people could fit inside of it. And so that's, was really calling towards starting this company. WeedApps actually started off as an agency model where we were trying to scale out my freelancing business, where we would hire on other people and other engineers. And I uh, was paying some of my friends to help me with like sales and, and lead development. And we ended up getting a lot of interest from dispensaries, building them apps. That's why we decided to build a whole company off of it. <laughs> so it worked out really well. But, you know, it's been really amazing, you know, bringing in you know, one of my best friends and you know, being able to pay other friends that have worked with us uh, doing sales stuff and giving them opportunity as well. Like that's been huge for me. And I really think that that can't be overlooked. I Being able to provide opportunity like that to friends and family around you, that, that's invaluable to me. So I wouldn't trade that for anything. How do you kind of discern those conversations of, of like talking business and not talking business around your friend, for example? So like, how do you talk about like, hey, let's set up a meeting to talk business versus let's talk about let's set up a meeting to just uh, hang out. Like, how how do you discern those those I guess hats? I should say. Yeah, not very well. <laughs> we talk a lot of business. I mean, it's fun though. Like that's that's what we do. Like the, we love our business. We love working on it. And no matter what, even when we just hang out or like hop on a call just to chat, it always ends up business. Just because that's what we want to talk about. So I wouldn't say there's really great balance, but think at the end of the day we do enjoy it but we both wish we would talk more and hang out more outside of business because it feels like these days that's all we do but at the same time i haven't hung out with very many friends over the last couple months just because i've been so busy anyway so you know at least i get to talk to him regularly i have an excuse to because it's business yeah and what about with your with your father is it, is it the same thing i'd say a lot less because you know I, I see him almost every single day and you know we 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 do talk business a lot. You know, we'll be sitting having dinner and <laughs> we always start talking about stuff. Or we talk a lot about cryptos too, just because we've been really interested in the space and investing and stuff. I mean, we, we find our balance though. Yeah, make, makes sense. All right. And so, so going back to what you said, so what you think most people get wrong about doing with business with their family and friends is that, you know, people are in it for the wrong reasons. And, and what are those what are those wrong reasons for you to do business with family or friends again? I mean, the wrong reasons would be that they're doing it for just like personal gain. It's it's when the per like you would put 
your stake and equity and money in the company above the partners. And so I think as long as everyone in the business is like, look, like we just want to grow this thing as big as possible. And they don't really care about the exact percentages and stuff. Like I'm not saying like that's incredibly important. Like hundred percent before you start a business, you need to have that laid out. But Mm -hmm. it's that mentality behind it. Like, is that, are they concerned about how much percentage they're going to get? What kind of like payment they're going to get or what they can get out of it? Or are they concerned about, hey, how can I make this company grow? And like kind of contributor to the whole rather than trying to see what they can get from it. Kind of like a taking versus giving mentality. And I don't know. I, I feel like I have a decent intuition. My whole life I've been pretty well at discerning who's a good friend and who's not. And so that's really come into play with this. Like, you know, I, I know like who I can trust and who I can. with deciding like who's going to be a good fit. I think it really comes down to you'll know. And I don't know. Maybe I just me and us. <laughs> that's how I've, I've always decided. I just kind of listen to my gut. Yeah, because I feel like that, that is a common issue for all kinds of businesses is, yeah, they want to help solve that problem is how can we get the employee or, or co-founder who's in it for the right reasons? And obviously, you know, it's, it's easy to say, oh, trust your gut. Um, but uh, I was trying to think like, and maybe there is no answer to this, but is there like maybe a tangible way to ask or measure it? Like, okay, I know this person is in it for the long-term growth of the company and believes in the values of the companies versus they're just in it for themselves kind of thing. Like, is there a way to determine that? I would definitely look at like input versus output. Like how much are they putting in versus how much are they trying to take out of it? Mm. You you want to make sure everyone's trying to put in more than they're trying to get out of it. I think if you look at it objectively that way, it should give you a decent idea. And then also just understanding like the personalities of the people that you're going into business with, right? Like some people are more, they don't really care about the money. They don't care about anything. Other people might be very motivated by the money. And that, that's not a bad thing at all, right? Like then, you know, if they're going to work their ass off to grow the company, like, great. Like, and it doesn't matter that much. But for me, you know, it, a lot of it's just been more just, you know, I want to start a business with my friends. I want to have fun. And so, you know, I want to make sure that the people are in the business are good partners and that we're all going to work hard and we're going to make something successful. Yeah, makes sense. I love that. All right. And before we transition here, a couple last questions on this entrepreneurship topic. Um, what do you believe that you could do faster than 90% of the world and why? Um, faster. I would say one of the skills I have that I think is really attributed to my success has been my ability to learn and to learn something by myself. I think that I'm incredibly fast at that. I taught myself how to program. It wasn't the school that taught me. I picked it up really quick. I need to pick up a new language. I need to pick up project management. You know, this last year I went from writing code myself, work, always working by myself, you know, I never worked on a team to leading teams. That was the biggest change ever. And I failed multiple times while trying to do it. You know, we started, I hired engineers overseas, tried to work with them. Project went sideways because the engineers weren't getting the things done. I ended up having to do it all myself. It was a disaster. Then round two, I was like, all right, I'm hiring a manager to take over these engineers. (laughs) And that didn't work well either because the manager we hired had their own management practices. And I don't know if you've read the E-Myth. Actually, I do know you have read it. The section where they're talking about hiring a manager, I was listening to that book and it was just the biggest epiphany to me. It was like, wow, that's exactly what I did. Like I hired a manager, they brought in their own management strategies. I had no control over it. And at the end of the day, it didn't work out. And so, you know, a lot of iteration there, but every single time, you know, I did get discouraged, but you know, I knew that like if I was to make that next step, 
to one scale out and do an agency or build a company with a bunch of engineers. Like I had to learn how to manage a project. And so, you know, I, I will say that now I've been managing a couple large projects with uh, multiple teams of engineers and uh, it's, it's actually working out really well. I figured out strategies that work really well for myself. I learned how to use this new software called Jira, which is amazing for task management for software engineering. And so it, it enabled me to manage projects with engineers all over the world. And so by taking those tools, learning how to do it really quickly, you know, I was able to get to the point where I am now with consulting and project management. And how do you spell uh, Jira? Uh, J-I-R. Some people pronounce it Jira as well. I'm not really sure which one's correct. <laughs> All right. I put it in the chat in case anyone wants to tune into that. And I love that. Just the ability to learn and adapt. And, mm-hmm. and I know it's it's tricky too, like finding that balance. Like, yes, Abraham Lincoln says that if you're to chop a tree and in five hours, he'd spend four hours sharpening his axe. But people forget you still need to spend that hour putting in the work and testing things yourself because you can learn as much as you want. But I think it's Mike Tyson who said everyone has a plan until they get hit in the mouth. <laughs> and so just uh, be, being ready for that as well. Yeah. And are there any and going and last question for the entrepreneurship that we can segment a little bit. But are there any final pieces of advice you give to people who want to become wealthy entrepreneurs faster? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing is like don't overcomplicate your path to success so like you know it's rapid results well if your result is to you know get to this one point really think like what's the best way to get there and always consider that there is a better way than the solution you have in your mind and always be seeking because it's so easy to like come up with a solution on how you're going to get the result that you're looking for and think that's the only way it can be done and you know it's likely that that is not necessarily the best way. And there's probably a way that's 10 times faster. I think a lot of it follows the 80-20 rule where you know, 80% of the results can be achieved with 20% of the, the work or whatever. Um, I think in most situations, you can find those type of, uh, you, you can find a shortcut in that way where you're, you're sacrificing very little, but you're gaining a lot. So just being aware of, of those and don't getting too caught up in a, a rut of, like, oh, this is how we're going to do it. This is the path. And it's going to take, for example, when I started freelancing, I thought I would need to create a blog, have a bunch of Git stuff, like uh, work on my public portfolio for me to even get a first job. I didn't have any of that when I signed up. And that's part of the reason why I didn't sign up initially is because I wanted to build all that stuff out. So I had like a resume to show. Um, eventually, I just signed up. I didn't do any of that. And it turns out I didn't need any of it. So if I would have been stuck on that path, I would have you know, probably wasted another six months or a year just trying to build a resume that I didn't even need. So it's just an example of that. Love that. Don't over overcomplicate. Yes. And using the 80-20 rule. All right. So transitioning a little bit. Um, yeah, Jestron, you definitely achieved the dream. You're able to work from wherever you want in the world. You're making great income. You're running your own company. You're helping build other companies. But on top of all of that, for those who haven't heard, you've recently gotten a fiance. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Congratulations again on that. And uh, yeah, Sarah's a, a lucky woman and, and you're a lucky man. And so awesome to see you two together. And so I definitely believe that you rise to the, the person that you meet, like you rise to the your, your one of your soulmates. And so I'm curious, like, who do you believe that you need to become or overcome in order to, to meet this uh, perfect uh, match for you and, and be, be officially a fiance? Yeah. I mean, that question kind of goes back into 
who I was before I met her. You know, when I dropped out of college, I kind of took an oath to myself to like focus on myself and growing my business because I felt like pursuing women at that time was kind of putting the cart behind head of the horse because, you know, if I want to build a family, I want to make sure that I have a stable income to build the family off of. And so it didn't make sense to go looking for a relationship when I didn't have that foundation. So I spent, you know, probably a year and a half where just I didn't talk to any women. I wasn't dating, nothing. And I was just grinding, you know, working on everything. And then uh, once I achieved, you know, that first level of success, freelancing, and I felt a little more comfortable, I was like, all right, now I've kind of checked off that box of like just being financially stable. Um, and I wanted to start dating. Um, but during that time, you know, it was, it was really like me focusing on myself and like trying to be the man that I knew I needed to be for my future wife. And you know, it's crazy to think about it now because like then it seemed like such a far off distant thing. But I, it was just such a crazy, it's a blessing because I don't think I had enough luck in the world to meet her. But <laughs> she was 100% the one that, you know, I've been preparing myself for. I didn't even know it. So it, it was just incredible. But I, I think to go back to your question, I waited to have sex until I wanted, met the one. That was a huge thing for me. So that was really, really hard going through college, <laughs> but it was really yeah. important to me. And that really set me up for it. Because then my focus was like, you know, I really want to meet the one. I want to build that deep relationship and, and grow. And, I, and while I was not talking to women during that period, I was really focused on my self-discipline, my thoughts and all the things that was going through my head. You know, when I was at the gym, I wasn't looking at the women around. I was focused on my, my reps or looking straight ahead. And it was those little things that like I really worked on to like, because I realized like if, if I'm going to be distracted when I'm single, then, you know, I'll be distracted when I'm in a relationship as well. And so I wanted to make sure to squash that. And I think those so those little things really helped set myself up for the man that I needed to be for her when I met her. And, you know, it's crazy now looking back and talking to her and realizing like how much of a difference those type of little things made now. So and tell me more about what you mean by distracted when you're single and distracted when you're not single. Cause obviously, I mean, so it sounds like you, you I, mean, I know you mentioned you used to go on dates before you, you met Sarah but I'm just trying to think about like, yeah, what, what does distraction mean to you? Because obviously you can't not talk to a woman while you're single. <laughs> so if you could just dive more into that, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I just, by distraction, I just mean like your attention, you know, like when, when something grabs your attention, you look over there, you know, as, as a teenage boy, it's very easy to be easily distracted by an attractive woman, but it's having control over that and making sure that uh, you're in control, not your hormones or emotions. Right. So that way, when an attractive woman walks by, you're in control of that situation, letting your your eyes dart over. Or you start thinking about, oh, she's attractive or something. It's like just having the self-discipline to be aware of your thoughts and not let your mind go to those places, because I, I don't think it's healthy in, in those circumstances. So if Sarah had walked by you in the gym, you would have never said hi? Well, at that time, no. But, you know, once <laughs> I started dating, I, then I was trying to get out there. But it was really tough because I actually met her during the pandemic. Like right at the peak of it, you know, people weren't really going out much. And we met on Tinder, which is I, the reason why I signed up for that is because I figured where are girls my age in the middle of a pandemic? I'm not <laughs> yeah. going to meet them outside or out naturally. So I, mm -hmm. I caved and uh, it, it worked out. Her and I both didn't belong on there. And it was great that we found each other and we were able to get off. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I, yeah, I know there's a, you know, tender is a tricky thing because, yeah, a lot of relationships work, a lot of relationships don't work, and it's so happy to see how you two work. But I think what people should realize is uh, kind of going back to your entrepreneur journey, um, I, I love that uh, you met her through the, the premium version of Tinder, right? Yeah. So, so if you can dive into that, like, let's say someone's like, I want to be like Jess Ron, I want to meet my dream wife on Tinder. Like, it was just so brilliant the way you broke it down for me, like for how you you, you hacked the, the algorithm kind of thing. And because, and you explained to me how, like, if you don't do the premium, then you're just like every other guy, but you're like, I'm a catch. Like, I know I'm a big deal. So I'm going to do this to life hack it. So if you're okay sharing about that, I think people don't yeah. hear about that. How they can win at Tinder like you did. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's an algorithm, right? And Tinder's a business and their goal is to make money. So it's a pay to play game. They try to get you in the door with, you know, it's a free app, but like if you actually want to see results, you got to pay them. So mm -hmm. that was my principle going into it as an app developer. I understand how these things work, how these algorithms work. Wasting my time sitting here swiping if I'm not paying. And mm -hmm. at that time I had the money to pay for it. And I was like, I don't want to spend time on here if I'm, it's not being most effective, you know, otherwise you're going to sit there and swipe. And with the, the platinum, you know, you get put ahead of all the other competitions. So an attractive girl, they're going to have, you know, a hundred matches waiting for the, her to swipe on. But if you have the platinum one, you're bumped to the top of that list. And so you have a better odds in that case. And so, and just thinking about the algorithm with that, it just made sense for me. Like, I don't want to spend hours on Tinder trying to get a match. You pay a little bit of money and then you can get a match with a bunch of women. You know, I went, for the first year that I was dating, I went on a lot of first dates and you know nothing really came from that i was pretty picky you know i was looking for a very specific type of woman and sarah came along it was just an instant and we actually didn't talk for like a month after we first matched uh we followed each other on instagram and then <laughs> she like swiped up on one of my stories and we started talking again and then facetime facetime again and then she came up and, and we went on our first date and then I, uh she actually came up with several times because she lived an hour and a half away and wow. then i went there for Valentine's last year and uh, we had the most amazing date. And then shortly after that, we started dating. Wait, your first date was on Valentine's? But that was the our first like big date where like I went down there and I, I got a hotel and I spent the night. And uh, We actually got snowed in Portland because it, like, it was a crazy snowstorm. I don't know if you remember that last year, but crazy. Like everything we had, like she made three reservations at three places and none of them worked out and we got stuck. <laughs> There's like parking lot where like, Cause like these cars is like a un underneath car garage and there's like cars stuck at the front of it and no one could leave. And man, it was a disaster, but it was just like so cool how it all worked out. Yeah. And, and, and I love that. And I just, uh, cause I, cause I, and I, I want to emphasize your story because I, you know, I know a lot of people who still are on, uh, you know, Bumble, <laughs> Tinder, Hinge, and I know the list goes on and just like, you know, kind of what you said, the 80, 20 principle, like just putting a little bit more effort into knowing that if you're at the top of someone's <laughs> list, you're a much higher chance of meeting who you believe you're, you're destined to meet essentially. Um, and so I, I just love that. And so happy for you too. And just wanted, yeah, so it's good to hear that uh, meet, meeting someone who, who has, has it all. I mean, you have an amazing business, you have amazing family relationships, fiance, and you're, you're 23 years old. <laughs> so very exciting and um, I think, um, it's good to show too that like if you can do it then uh, why can't other people too right yeah i mean there's nothing special about what i did i was very determined to make something happen and 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 all fronts you know it was crazy too because i was not expecting to see results this fast in any area that i achieved i mean, you know when it comes to my relationship when it comes to my success 
freelancing, when it comes to success with our business, like, you know, all those things, you and I, we went on this uh, retreat and we wrote up our, in three, three years, come as you will be statement. And within the first year, you know, my goal was for the three years to potentially be with the one, but yet mm-hmm. it's been like a year since then and I'm already engaged. So it's just, it was crazy. Like that's where my <laughs> that was and here I am now. Yeah. And I think that emphasizes the importance of, yeah, writing down your goals in the first place and just knowing what you want in the first place. And it's just so amazing how like things can happen faster than what you think is possible. So I, I love that too. And as we're kind of wrapping up here and staying under the hour here, a few more questions left. I put this question in because I feel like, you know, you because you're so good at learning and, and implementing and doing things faster, at the top of your head, it could be any category, you know, what are some life hacks that you wear by and that, that you love in general? Life hacks. Give me an example of one. What's, what's your, your favorite life hack? Like, like for me, like a life hack, um, it, it's simple, but, um, you know, in the bathrooms, for example, like I'll take a paper towel or, um, and to open the door handle or use my, my elbow to open the door handle. Cause I know those door handles in the bathrooms are not going to be clean because we know not everyone washes their hands. And if I just wash my hands, I got to make sure to <laughs> not touch yeah. that dirty door handle. You know, when, it, when it, a life hack that whenever I'm, I'm in a room and networking that, uh, you know, my goal is just to make people feel amazing and uh, make them feel important. Um, and in turn, they make it makes me look good somehow. I don't know. But <laughs> just knowing that um, I, I kind of live life by the Maya Angelou quote that <clears throat> people forget what you said, they'll forget what you did but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And so I'd say my life hack up for life is always helping people feel amazing. That's great. Well, it's very general. I'm trying to think of something. Just for life hacks, just try to find those things that like take a lot of time and like identify those, like a repetitive process that's happening all the time. It's something that can be like done a lot faster. You know, it's those little things that like really add up, I feel like. Um, and a great like I'm a developer, so my background is in building apps and stuff. And there's this thing called like the development cycle where like you write some code, you build it, you test it, you see what's wrong with it, and then you you go back. But like if if one of those steps takes a really long time and you're constantly doing this cycle over and over again, it exponent or not exponentially, but like it, it multiplies the the time it takes to do something, right? But if you if you can optimize some of those steps. Uh, you're gonna be able to iterate and get through those loops really quickly. So like finding those things that you do very frequently that can be uh, optimized and done faster is I'm always investing in better tooling, using the gyro software and stuff to automate stuff. And I just found a really cool application last night called Stoplight for building APIs that's gonna expedite uh, my ability to uh, manage my teams doing app development, backend development and writing specs all at the same time. So it's like those little things that you can will put in your pocket to speed things up they're invaluable i love that heck yeah all right final two questions and i know this is a big question and obviously it might change every day but i love asking it is when you look back at your life what do you want your legacy to be legacy oh man i really see myself in the the tech sector i, I love technology and i i really would love to contribute to society in a way that is very impactful in the technology space. You know, whether that be I build some big program or I make a protocol, a decentralized protocol for something that's widely used throughout the world. I I want to contribute to the world by creating software. And one of the things that brought me to technology from day one was like computers are like 
literally enable people to do things quicker, better, and faster. And so like, I, I really want to be a maximalist on that and people do things better, faster, and smarter with technology. And I'd love to be able to impact every single person around the world with that. Love that. And the final question is, is there anything else you want to say or wish I'd asked you about on the topic of uh, people who want uh, rapid results in their life? I mean, you asked a lot of good questions and I think you drug it all out of me, honestly. <laughs> you know, I'd say that the 80-20 rule is the biggest one for me. And that's one I'm still working with all the time. Like just really saying like, believing that there is a better solution out there than the one you currently have and constantly seeking it is really like the, the best way about it. You know, like thinking, and also it's very easy to get caught up on like a assumption. Like I really need X to get Y, but, and then you'll bake that in as a, like a requirement for what you have to do when really it's more subjective than that. And it, it's very easy to fall in that trap. So just being really aware of like, what are my principles going into this? You know, for example, I thought that I needed to have a huge resume and work examples on GitHub before I started freelancing. That was like an assumption I had that went into it that made the result that I wanted going to take, you know, an extra year. And then the day I didn't even need that. So it's just being really and constantly looking at those things and asking yourself, do I really need this to get to my result? And if I don't, then is there a better way that we can go about getting to this result? That's, you know, following the 80-20 rule. Yeah, no, it makes sense. 80-20 rule, everyone. I think it's called the Pareto principle if you want to sound fancy and technical as well. <laughs> and yeah, that, so that about concludes things. Uh, Josh Ron, thank you so much for all this amazing information about college advice, about the attitude of burning the ships, about picking one thing, about increasing your prices, about making sure that uh, you write on your goals, input versus output. This has been so incredible. If if people want to learn more from you, uh, what's the best way they can get a hold of you? Yeah, man, I'm on Upwork. That's kind of my main profile. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, you can just search my name. I'm one of the only people out there you'll find. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those are probably the two best places to reach me. Perfect. All right. Well, that concludes uh, episode two of Rapid Results with Andrew Weiss. Uh, we're, and we're more than honored to host Just Run today. And we'll make sure to see you next week for the next episode. Cheers, everyone. That concludes another episode of Rapid Results. Remember to leave a review about something you learned so others can share the knowledge. Keep being unstoppable in your pursuit of the lifestyle freedom you desire. And we'll see you next week.